0: Okay, everybody's awake today. I even heard you guys online from wherever you are. That was super, super loud. I'm kidding because I am not God. I'm not everywhere. But but good morning to everybody. So glad to be here. Um, I'm Pastor Chris. I'm the new lead pastor here. Um, not sure how long I like actually say that. Like how long you are new. Um, but but we are in the fourth week. We're wrapping up a um, uh, this sermon series we've been in called a new season which I think is applicable in multiple ways, um, where we've been traversing through the, the story of Joshua, really starting at the beginning of the book of Joshua and marching through to the promised land. And um, part, of it, part of that reason for this series has been because we are starting a new season here at Table Life Church, And I want to thank personally those of you who are able to join us for my installation service last Sunday, whether online or here in person. Um, So many people I talked to, I mean, it was just such a touching moment and time of the Holy Spirit. Um, and also what was amazing was that our two, the two previous pastors in the last, I guess, 35 years or so were also here, um, Pastor Steve and Pastor Rob, and it was such a blessing, I think, to kind of show that, that kind of passing of the baton from one season to the next to the next, and come to think of it, I don't think there's many churches that that actually happens when you have an installation service like that, that you can have uh, the previous pastors also be there to share in the support of the community. And it's just really, really an awesome moment, I believe. Um... But also in this new season, uh, I know I've shared with, with many of you that, that there's many new seasons going on in this place that we've encountered, maybe you're in the middle of, or encountered personally. And uh, that can be anything from, from a family situation, maybe a new season in your job. We have several folks that are in the middle of moves and moving and the new season that that brings and new homes and new, new places to live. Maybe a new season in school. Or maybe just a a new season, maybe that wasn't of your choosing maybe with circumstances that were brought upon you through maybe the loss of a loved one. You know, we're all entering different new seasons. And at the beginning of each message in this series, we've had a little conversation starter, a chance for you all to connect with one another and talk to one another. And um, we're going to throw out a question for this this series or this uh, sermon today. And that question is, what shows reruns do you enjoy watching? Is there a show that you enjoy watching reruns, even though you've seen them before, even though you know what happens, what show would that be? And I'm gonna invite you to turn around, maybe somebody that you don't know, introduce yourself. I want you to share a show's reruns that you enjoy watching. We're just gonna give about a half a minute here. So go ahead, one, two, three, ready, go. Okay, so there's some good ones. Some good ones and probably some some not so good ones. Um, and this is a chance I'm going to ask. So so we want to be appropriate here. I don't know if there were any inappropriate shows that were shared, but we're going to be appropriate. But anyone want to share a show that you like to watch reruns? In, in the back, Brett. Uh, like the Teen Titan shows from the early 2000s. The Teen Titans shows from the early 2000s. So that's like brings back all kinds of... <laughs> Memories and such, did anybody else say that? Probably not, that's okay, we love you anyway. That's, that's great, yeah, yeah. If you're online, then you can just type in the chat, uh, maybe a uh, favorite show that you like to watch. Uh, one more. Friends, okay, yeah, I'm gonna mention that, actually. Friends, yeah, just like the, so many seasons, and, and actually the writers of that didn't actually know where that was going to be headed, um, believe it or not, with certain characters, and so it's very, very interesting how that, that comes together. Uh, i I've asking myself this question. I was thinking about two shows in, in particular, both that are very, very different. One is Survivor. Watching like, reruns from like the early like, days of Survivor, and you can like, fast-forward it, which is even better, you know, to the, to the good parts when people uh, kind of get get into it. you know that's why we watch reality TV, I guess. but um but then also, like, I like to watch Everybody loves Raymond. I don't know if anybody said that, okay, we have some applause over here. Who does not connect with Raymond and like the whole family thing? Um, but but, and it's interesting because comparing like those kind of shows to our lives, that when you're entering a new season, it can often feel like you're stepping into one thing or the other. It can feel like you're stepping into kind of the strange world of reality television, the unknown, that there's, there's something new that's going to go on, you have no idea what's up ahead, there might be personal struggles, there might be relationship things, like you've never been here before and you have no idea what's coming up. Or it might often feel like a rerun of a previous season in some way, that you're going, you know, have you ever said the words, here we go again, just like last time, you know, you're entering into something new, but yet it has all the semblance of maybe something old. And what's interesting is sometimes they're both like together, right? Talk about friends. There was recently, there was a, what was it, a friends reunion or show, like here's a, Old show that you can watch reruns of that now is made new. Um, Any Mandalorian fans in the house? Okay, if you're a Star Wars person, you probably started watching The Mandalorian, which is kind of like a new take on a new um, aspect of the whole Star Wars uh, series and trilogy. And then there's like Full House, and then recently there was like Fuller House. and So they're kind of like the new and the old, the known and the unknown that's mixed together. And sometimes entering that new, a new season, it can feel like a continuation of an old season. There might not be like that clean break or that full like, I have no idea where I'm going. There might be pieces that you're like, I feel like I've been here before. There might be certain habits or expectations. And on a spiritual level, to, to translate that, on a spiritual level, sometimes we say the same things about God. Maybe as we enter a new season, we develop expectations Of how God should work based on how God's worked before in previous seasons, but the question I want to pose to you today is this: What if? What if your new season is supposed to be different? What if your new season, our new season, is supposed to be different? And today, today we're going to encounter a story in the book of Joshua that that initiates the Israelites' entry into the Promised Land. And the last few weeks we were talking of this story, starting in Joshua 1, where Joshua is commissioned as the new leader when Moses uh, dies, and so he's kind of given the mantle to take the leadership of the Israelites as they've been wandering in the desert for 40 years. And what does Joshua do? Well to go ahead of him. He's smart. He, he sends spies. He sends spies into the city of Jericho to kind of stake things out. And once again, you compare that story, it's similar but different to the story of Moses, who also had sent, uh, sent spies. So track with me here. Then also, the spies. The spies go into the city, and they're saved by this very unlikely character, this woman, this prostitute named Rahab. They're saved by her, which was a really significant part, a really significant part in the book of Joshua, really setting the stage for this idea of similar but different. Then, then we kind of get a glimpse of, how, of what's to come, the direction that God is going, when there's this miracle of crossing the Jordan River. And if you know the story of Moses you know, crossing the Red Sea, they're similar, but it's different and they carried the Ark of the Covenant, which is believed to be God's presence, through that river, and they crossed to the other side. Well, now, now we're on to the city of Jericho. Jericho. Joshua and what's often termed the battle, or I really call the non-battle, of Jericho. And this, this really, this, all this together points to something that was true for the people of Israel as well as I believe it's true for us. And that is, God's doing it a different way. God's doing it a different way. And that's really the book of Joshua in a, in a whole, is setting the stage that God is doing it a different way, that there's similarities to the past, but there's a whole lot of differences. And, and I know that if you've been in church before, you may have heard the story of Jericho. If you've been in Sunday school or vacation Bible school, you learn different songs. And we're not going to praise the Lord sing that today. I'm not going to sing that for you. You can, you can uh, talk to Ben after the service if you'd like to learn that song. But, um, but it's a really important story, and it really sets the stage for what God is doing. So we're going to um, jump into a scripture, though, that, that I think is really interesting because it comes bef- right before the Battle of Jericho. And usually when we jump to the Battle of Jericho and we learn all about like, what God's instructions are, it's kind of crazy, we're going to get into that, uh, we miss this little, little story that occurs in Joshua 5 right before that. And what's interesting is this story is really meant to set the stage for what happens in Jericho. So we're just going to read this real quick. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals. Sounds familiar, right? Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Interesting little story. We skip that a lot. We skip that when we're reading this. And, and, and so we ask the question, well, what's, what's going on here? Well, I think, I think what God is doing is he's giving us a different approach to people. He's setting the stage for what's going to happen in Jericho, but he's showing us a different way that there should be a different approach to people. Because the question that's posed in this little passage is, who is God for? That's what Joshua wants to know. He says, well, okay, you're this guy, and, and who are you for? Well, it's not just them. It's not just us. This is the eve of Jericho. Imagine Joshua; he's preparing to attack, and this guy appears. And scholars debate who this commander is. Is he? Is he? Uh, you know? Is, is he Jesus himself? Is he? You know? God's representative? Is he the original touched by an angel? We have any Roma, Roma Downey fans? I was a big fan. So is this original touched by an angel? Well, we don't know. That's really what the answer is. There's lots of different ideas, but we do know that this was a heavenly messenger, some representation from God. And then we notice that Joshua doesn't recognize the guy. Interesting, huh? Because a lot of times we think of these Bible people, these Bible characters as being these like, perfect people that know everything. Like Joshua doesn't even see that this is like the Lord's representative here. And I think we can take comfort in that that sometimes we won't recognize someone standing right in front of us that might be representing God. You know, I found out recently, I have a hard time uh, looking at people without masks on. You saw masks for like a whole year, and then all of a sudden you're like, Hi, nice to meet you. And they're like, I know you. Like, you know, it's been a a while. But it, it it should bring us comfort in that, to know that even Joshua had a hard time recognizing people. But Joshua's first question, who are you for? Are you for us or for our enemies? He's ready to take this guy out. You know, I think he had his arm behind his back here. He had a weapon of choice. And he was ready for this guy that he did not know. He was ready to just take him out. Well, at this time, it was believed that when you were going into battle, you and your army believed that you had a god who was representing you, that was going to lead you into battle and be on your side. So every army in the ancient world believed that they had their own god to lead them in battle. That was kind of the custom. And that that god was on their side. But you see, the commander's response is neither. He doesn't say you guys. He doesn't say y'all. He doesn't say yins. He says neither, neither, neither. And in the original language, in the Hebrew that this was written in, it's an emphatic, absolutely no, not at all, nobody. Interesting. The commander of Yahweh, of the Lord's army, is neutral. Interesting. So usually, usually we, uh, those of us that have placed our faith in, in Christ, that are trying to follow God, we have the us-them attitude. We're on the right side, they're on the wrong side, whoever they may be. We do this personally, too. Um, growing up, uh, I watched Saturday morning cartoons. I love to watch all these different shows. And in cartoons, you always know the bad guy, right? They're wearing the dark colors. They look kind of ugly in that way. And, and when you're watching those shows as a kid, nobody usually identifies with Ursula, Shredder, Mr. Burns, or Dr. Claw. We can identify with the good people, right? And, and there's kind of this idea of, oh, well, it's us. We're the good guys versus the bad guys. And religious people, we do that, too. We do that, too, that, that we're known on us often for more for who we're against than who we're for. But we see that the commander, his neutrality breaks down these us-them categories. And these were categories that the intended audience of the book probably embraced at the time. Have you ever thought that maybe you're entering into a new season for reasons other than you? Think about that. Maybe it's not about you at all. Maybe it's about other people. Maybe it's about someone in your family. Maybe there's a reason if you've been questioning, like, okay, well, why, is, why do I seem to be stepping in this direction? Maybe, maybe it's not about you. And see, Joshua, Joshua is given this kind of commission here, too. These parts that we recognize as, as almost similar to Moses, but also different. When Moses encountered the burning bush, and then he's told to take off his sandals, and I'm not going to take off my sandals because I, I did take a shower today, but nobody really wants to see me parading around in my feet. But, but basically, Moses takes off his shoes that he's standing on holy ground, and then we see something similar with Joshua Except, different than Moses, it just ends with the barefoot Joshua. There's no commission here. There's no specific role that Joshua is supposed to play in what's ahead. Hold on to that idea, because pay attention to it, because God is doing something different. This is what sets the stage for Jericho. An important little passage here sets the stage for what's going to happen. So, so moving on, so Jericho... Jericho was, was this very small city. We're going to put a map up here. I think we used this last week. But um, it, just to give you an idea of where these people had crossed, they crossed the Jordan River heading up to Jericho. And most of the time we don't realize this, and, and sometimes the song like, and, and sometimes different readings kind um, of make you believe that this was like a giant city and there were thousands of people and they had this really, really mighty army. None of that is the case. It was an insignificant agricultural village from around 1,500 to 1,200 B.C. It did have a defensive wall, but it was scalable. And an army under Joshua probably could have taken the city by themselves without anybody's help. Interesting, right? But God's strategy is very different. See, sometimes in order to be victorious, you have to be willing to do something that looks ridiculous especially when you're following God. So we're going to jump over into chapter 6, which starts by sharing, Now that the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites, remember they were very afraid here, no one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have a whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse, and the army will go up, everyone straight in. The first thing that this story brings to mind are my days in marching band and the long, long parades that we had for hours on end, wearing wool, wearing wool in the midst of summertime. And how, how kind of it felt meaningless at times, like we were going around and around. And I imagine that's probably what Joshua was thinking when he received these instructions. But what's revealed here is that God's showing that there's a different way to fight. There's a different way to fight. You and I, we usually had this idea of fighting fire with fire, You know, this Old Testament idea of an eye for an eye. But God's way to fight here is a parade. You picture that Joshua, he's this new leader. He's all set for battle. This is his battle debut, right? He wants to go in and be like, rah, rah, we are taking these guys out. And in a new season, we often have all these aspirations that we're going to do right, we're going to prove ourselves. But we don't realize that God's showing him something different here. A different way to fight. This story is really not about the impossibility of a victory at Jericho. Because like I said earlier, that Joshua and his troops, they could have done this themselves without God's help. This is a story, this is a story about how Joshua's role in this was to trust what God had already done. Look at verse 2. Verse 2, then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. A promise that God had already given, that he had already done. He's talking in past tense. Joshua's role is to be steadfast in faith, not to fight. Hebrews tells us that by faith the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By what? Faith, not by might. But, of course, we like our weapons, right? You know, what's your go-to? And I'm not talking about the guns and the swords. You know, maybe that's it for you. But maybe your go-to is to slam somebody when they get you are wrong on you. Maybe it's to go to war on social media back and forth. Maybe it's to prove that you are right at any expense, even tearing your spouse down, who you say you love dearly. See, but God wants to do it differently, You know, we're fighting, yes, but we're fighting for people. We're not fighting against them. And you might say, though, but Pastor Chris, I read the Old Testament here especially, and there's lots and lots of violence. And actually, admittedly, at the end of this story, even after uh, Joshua and his troops parade around Jericho and the walls fall, they go inside and they slaughter everybody. So that's just a little jump ahead here. So you might say, like, well, what's with that, though? That, that what's with this, this God that you say? You know, in the Old Testament, is God like a hitman? Is he going to take everybody out all the time? And a lot of people admittedly struggle with this, to say, well, there must be an Old Testament God, and then there's kind of this, like God had some kind of conversion experience and became a New Testament God, and they're so different there. Well, first off, we have to look at this passage and that, that part that I just read. First, this is the only interaction that Joshua has with God. The only interaction. And there is no mention of going in and slaughtering everybody. He says at the end, the army will go up and everyone straight in. And there's no indication either that Joshua sought the Lord's advice afterwards. He didn't ask, well, what should we do afterwards? He kind of followed that story in his head as he was used to. And Joshua resorts to sacrificing the city for God on his own. He actually reverts back to something that ancient people would do. Sacrificing a city and offering it up to God is this beautiful sacrifice. He takes that into his own hands. God never instructs them to do that. But second, and I think more importantly, is that if we truly believe in Jesus as the Son of God, we use the lens of the cross to read this scripture and to read the Old Testament scriptures. See, the point is that if we look back at that story of Rahab, and then we look at the story of this commander of the Lord's army, they're, no, they're there for a reason. They're there to frame this story. And, and I think when it comes down to it, it's a little bit like Paw Patrol. Is anybody, You guys up front, can you see this? Do you know who this is? Okay, you, you have older kids. Anybody know who this character is? Chase, yes, ding, 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 ding. So this is a little toy. That a friend of mine um, gave to me because I lost a um, uh, what was it, a raffle or something for this like paw patrol thing. I was going to give it to a kid, not keep it for myself. Um, and they felt bad for me, so it was my consolation prize, my little little chase here. And um, and my my previous church and my office, um, often I would have this little boy who was the son, the grandson of one of the other staff members. He would kind of he was four years old, he would come to the office with his grandpa, and he would walk around the offices and then greet everybody. And I always had Chase there for me. Well, when, when his name is Oliver. And when Oliver would come to visit me, I would bring out Chase and he would ask all about Chase. And what did I do because Oliver was yay high and I'm this high? I stooped down. I stooped down to be on the child's level. And did I really want to play Paw Patrol with Chase? Probably not, admittedly. See, God sometimes stoops down to humanity to further his purposes. That we're in the place of the little child and little Oliver. That we don't fully understand that, hey, this is, you know, his whole world is Paw Patrol and Chase and I don't even know the rest of the characters. But, but God stoops down to our level, not because he, he wants to, or he actually like, approves of that, but, but he soups down because he loves us and he gets us. And sometimes he does this, to, but he does this by accommodating the us-them mindset of fallen people. Sometimes he does this in, in order to continue to work with broken covenant people, that he bears their sin and he takes on the ugly semblance of what used to be this idea of this warrior deity, and, and he uses that to witness to his faithful covenant activity. But the thing is, God and his army, they transcend this. They don't want us, God does not want us to, to constantly where he has to stoop down to us. His ideal is always for his people to transcend this as well. And this also goes for things like like marriage, where you see in the Old Testament you have all these guys with like you know hundred wives and concubines and all this kind of stuff, like God stooped down there, but he didn't stay there. He doesn't want us to stay there, and that's that's revealed in the person of Jesus. When we view the scripture through the lens of the cross, we see that God is doing something different. He's doing it a different way, but also in that he shows us that he has a different timing too. He has a different timing. You and I are microwave people. We like things to happen like that. And I believe, you know, Joshua and his people, they were probably similar, even if they didn't have microwaves yet. And so we see in the story that, that what happens is that Joshua is obedient. He gets up early the next morning and the priests took up the Ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the Ark of the Lord and blowing the, trump, blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp, and they did this for six days. Why seven? Well, seven days and laps represents completeness. Seven is what's called God's number in Scripture. It's it's God's timing, not ours. And, And I dare ask the question, they did this for six days, What do you think everybody was thinking on day six? What do you think they were thinking? Like, we've been doing this a while, like I know you promised this, God, but like nothing's happening. I at least would've hoped the brick would've fallen, right? You're at least looking for at least the brick that comes down to say, okay, this something is going to happen, but nothing happened. Don't we do that too? You know, what do you do when it feels like nothing is happening? That you've been waiting on God, you've been obedient, you've been faithful, but, but it feels like that nothing you don't see anything, the brick doesn't fall, you've been parading for a while. Uh, what do you do? Does that mean that God's not at work? Or does it mean that maybe it's just not in his timing? Um, for me, I, I often play this game of what if. Maybe you've played it before. But I look back, and especially last weekend when I was up here for the installation service, I was just reflecting on all these questions of what if. What if I had never moved to Maryland to start a career as an environmental scientist and then attended a church where there was a a pastor from the Church of the Nazarene when I was questioning being called into ministry? And he so happened to land there after a, a, a bad church experience in his previous church and so, and then from there to say, okay, to end up in, at a school, at a seminary in Virginia where, where then I was given the opportunity to lead a church in a pastor's sabbatical. Like, what if all these things had not happened in those certain ways that I had not met this person at that time or been introduced, all these different places? See, the most meaningful and powerful times in my life, I can reflect back on a time when there was a day six, When I was walking around and around, it felt like nothing was happening. See, it used to impress me when somebody had faith to start something in faith. But now, now what impresses me is someone who has the fortitude to finish in faith, even when it doesn't seem like anything is happening. It's God's time. He does it a different way. And we know, those of us that that know the rest of the story, know that this doesn't end there. They finish that seventh march. There's a sound of a trumpet blast. There's a shout. The wall collapses, and the people go into the city. It's the beginning, though, of this roller coaster relationship with God in the entry to the promised land. It's a new season, for sure. But then, of course, people take things into their own hands, even well meaning religious people, and they mess things up. They mess things up, and then they try to be right with God again, and then they didn't, and there's this back and forth that happens. And then what does God do? Flip to the New Testament. He decides to do things a different way. He does things a different way. That's not people's expectations. They're expecting that God is going to send in an army and a commander that is going to take people out that there's going to be this parade in on horses, and that there's going to be all these weapons and swords, but what does God do? He sends a baby born to a virgin, the son of a carpenter. He takes this Jesus and moves around the countryside to who? The outcasts, the poor, the weak. And then He goes on to claim victory and new life through a symbol of death and destruction, the cross. What kind of God is that? See, this is what the new season is about. It's a new kind of kingdom that Jesus is about. It's about doing it a different way, church, that God's doing it a different way. And I believe here at Table Life Church, that's a part of it. that that there may be similarities to previous seasons, but that God's doing a different way, that it may be similar but different. And just as Israel obtains a land they do not deserve, we too are given a chance to be part of his kingdom here, an opportunity that you and I do not deserve. So my question to you, in your new season, in our new season, Will you choose not to waste the beginning? Be open. Don't stop in the middle, because God is doing something different.